Hey guys, and welcome back to Embracing Your Virtue. For those of you just joining, I'm your host, Samantha Jasmine. I'm really super excited about today's episode. Today we're going to talk about embracing special education needs for your children. And I have with me three friends um, who are all in the same boat, and we're just going to chat about that today. So welcome, ladies. Thank you for having oh, us. Thank you. <laughs> Great. So um, why don't we start? I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves. Um, we will um, we'll start with the person to the right of me. So we'll start with Noel. Noel, if you can just introduce, tell us your name, uh, what, you know, maybe what you do professionally, how many kids you have, and a little, you know, just a little brief introduction about you. Sure. Okay. So my name is Noel Burton. Um, I am a school social worker in Newark, New Jersey. Um, I live in New Jersey and um, I have five children. My husband and I, we have five children. Um, my oldest is a boy who's 14. I have a 12 year old son, um, which is the one that has um, special needs. Um, I have a seven year old son, a six year old son and a two year old daughter. So those are my babies. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, next, Otelia. Hi, my name is Otila Ford. Um, I work in the CPSE department in Mount Vernon City School District, which I recently started back in February, which is sort of a full circle moment for me because my daughter, who's eight, uh, was a special needs that went through the Mount Vernon CPSE um, department to get her um, services, which is speech and OT at the time. Uh, she was three years old. She's now eight and doing great. <laughs> nice. Thank you. And last but not least, Janie. Hi, uh, my name is Janie Hackman. Uh, my husband and I have two boys. One, uh, the oldest is seven, going to be eight. Um, he has special needs. He's also been diagnosed with autism. And our second son, he is five. So um, I was working in the New York City Department of Ed, uh, just recently transitioned out of that role, out of that department, just to be with the kids during this time of full remote, so. Great, thanks. For those of you joining who may not know me, um, I have three kids, ages six, four, and two years old. Um, my son, who's six, um, he currently receives speech therapy and also some additional support for attention difficulty, and then my four-year-old daughter, Olivia, um, she receives speech therapy, occupational therapy, and she's also in um, an inclusive class setting in her pre-K, in her pre and Tori is running the show, my two-year-old. <laughs> great, well, thank you guys. Um, so um, I think you guys did a great job. You told us a little bit about um, your kids and yourselves. And I just put this together that not only do you guys have kids with special needs, but you all work in the school system. So this is like, this is going to be good. <laughs> and I'm excited. Okay. Um, so if for anyone, you can feel free to jump in and just share, when did you first notice that maybe your, your child may have had special needs and how were they like officially diagnosed? Okay. So I'll start with that. Um, so I mentioned that my 12-year-old son um, is, is our child that has special needs. So he actually has been diagnosed with being emotionally disturbed. Um, and so we noticed that in, uh, first of all, in, pre in preschools, he ran out of the building three times in the first three days of school. And so he had to actually be dismissed from the program. So we ended up homeschooling him just for that pre-K year. 
Mm-hmm. When he entered kindergarten, um, he was in a charter school with his older brother, who was in second grade at the time. And my son had a very difficult time staying in the classroom. He did not want to learn. Um, he was not interested in learning. He was always very angry. Um, he would outburst a lot. He was verbally violent, verbally aggressive, I would say. Um, and sometimes would be physically violent, like hitting people and different things like that. So uh, he started doing this really from the beginning of the school year. So being a social worker, I said to myself, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Something's definitely very wrong. And so I would rather get him evaluated now mm-hmm. instead of trying to wait it out and see. Um, and I believe it was the best decision because mm-hmm. that December, which is the beginning of the school year, that December, I went ahead and wrote a letter requesting evaluation. And then he was evaluated. Um, it took some time. Because he, we were, we were actually still living in New York, but we were getting ready to transition to move to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So he had been evaluated, and then in March of that, of that school year, he had actually been given the diagnosis, the classification actually, of emotional disturbance. And so there was some learning, there was some learning challenge because he he didn't really retain the information very much. But the emotional disturbance was actually the most prominent classification. So then after that, they actually didn't put his IEP into place mm-hmm. until the following school year, because what happened was the, the school, the charter school that he was in, did not have the program to handle an emotional disturbance classification, which meant that he would have had to be transferred. But also mm-hmm. because we were moving to New Jersey no longer being New York City residents, we would not be able to access New York special education services. So it was an automatic transfer over to New Jersey anyway. Um, So then once in New Jersey, he answered the first grade. He was a year behind because he had basically learned nothing in kindergarten. And then um, he was placed into a, he was placed into a a special education self-contained classroom for um, students with emotional disturbance. The school district, their programming didn't even work for him properly. It was a whole situation. It almost became a legal issue. And then because of that, the district ended up having to transfer him to an out-of-district placement. So he actually is in the most restrictive placement outside of a residential setting because the district did not have the programming that was most appropriate for his classification. So right now he goes to a special education private school Um, sponsored by our public school district out here. And he is doing much better now than he ever was. Um, But he definitely needed the most restrictive setting because his issue, in addition to being a year behind academically, was the emotional component. So, but that's when we knew about him, so. Yeah, great. Thank you so much, Noelle. That was, you know, you have been that, you were that person for me that taught me the importance of knowing the, knowing the rules, knowing the laws, advocating for your child and mm-hmm. being their number one support. Um, because, Absolutely. you know, there's so many broken issues within multiple school districts and we have to be on top of it. Um, so I, I appreciate your story. Absolutely. Um, okay. Gabby is eight years old now. Um, when she was a little bit after she turned two, 
I, you know, I was that mom that read the books that was like, okay, they're supposed to walk around this time. They're supposed to eat food around this time. They're supposed to start babbling around this time. And I noticed she wouldn't. She wasn't babbling. She wasn't trying to sort of communicate. But then a lot of people will tell you, oh, that's just her disposition. She's just quiet. She's like her dad. She's not like a chatty catty like you. So maybe when she feels like having something to say, she'll say it. But I felt something was just not right. And um, when she was at Bright Horizon here in Emsford, I had early intervention give her an evaluation. They spent about maybe a half hour with her and they said, she's fine. Nothing's wrong with her. She's, um, give it some time. She'll find her words, whatever. And I knew that that just wasn't right. I never said something was wrong with her cognitively. She just wasn't speaking. She had two daycare workers that worked in her room. And their names was like Mary and Jamie, but she would never say Jamie's name. And she would just call Mary Mo. And I was like, after two, I was like, there's no way that's normal. That's okay. So I decided to start working with her. Like I would just be home. I would let her look at my mouth and I would encourage her to say certain things like Mickey Mouse, because that's what she liked and just started you know, gently working with her. And then six months later, I had her reevaluated. And thank God, I chose um, a very good evaluation um, agency. And they came and they went, I mean, they took great time and care in, in just, you know, evaluating her. And, um, you know, it took a minute, but then they were like, yeah, definitely. She, she needs speech therapy. And um, it was the most, like, your whole heart and your whole being was like, finally, I know I'm not, you know, crazy. I know what I was seeing. Like, you get that validation, finally, that, okay, it's not just my mom thing. You know what I mean? Because people make you be like, oh, you're just being extra as a mom. But it was just like, yes, right? And I knew that if I didn't take this step it would change her personality and who she was because she started shutting down. She started not even trying, you know what I mean? Like her dad would come home and she'd be like, you know, what, how was your day? And she'll be like, Oh mom, you telling me doesn't understand me. You know what I mean? So she was cognizant herself or becoming that way that she wasn't being understood. And so I was like, no, we got to make sure we do something. So they um, gave her speech and um, after a little while, they gave her OT as well because her fine motor skills. But I, the child I have now is vastly different. Like, she found her voice. She won't stop talking, but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> but she's, and Sam will tell you, when she's ready to say something, she's very straight and to the point. But, you know, I'm so grateful that I advocated and that I didn't just, you know, let it go that, you know, she'll find it, her words will come, whatever, because, I mean, it, it was so crucial and essential for her to progress and to be her best self. But also, um, we found that when she was in the first grade, we started just seeing some sort of like just inconsistencies with her being in the classroom, like certain things, she wasn't processing certain things 
or it was difficult for her to follow along one, two, three instructions. So then we, I got her evaluated for auditory, auditory processing, which they don't accept the diagnosis until they're eight. And so um, we went to Mercy College. They did a phenomenal job and they were like, yeah, she has it, you know. And so now we changed the way that she like sits in school, where, how she takes her tests, how they, they give her instructions. So there was that component to her um, IEP as well. But so far, she's, she's doing well. That's awesome, Ophelia. I appreciate your story. And yes, I'm like, if you did not tell me, I would not have known that Gabby was receiving speech therapy. So that is like just such a great example of, you know, why it's important to catch it early and to, you know, and to get the therapy because it works. I would not have known until you told me. Yeah, Janie, can you tell us a little bit about Noah? Yeah, sure. So, um, so Noah, uh, you know, I, I, I love hearing both your stories, Noelle and, and um, Otelia, and it's been very encouraging. So I would have loved to say that I was, you know, um, more in tune with all of that stuff. I was not. I was not very welcoming of any kind of delays or whatever with with Noah. I was a first time mom, right? Dealing with like all these other things. We were we had just moved and whatever. There was a whole lot of things going on um, when he was born, and as he kept progressing. He hit milestones, but it wasn't as like, you know, six months you do this. It was sort of like maybe a one or two month delay, which wasn't really huge at that time. But then as he got older, we started noticing a little bit more. And my husband was more inclined to say, okay, we need to get these things checked out. And as an educator, I was like, hey, you know what? Kids learn at different paces. Um, when Noah was young, he was reading already at the age of two. Right. And he was doing all these math calculations and whatever. So it never really dawned on me that maybe there are other things that were into play. But uh, so we but there was obviously a delay with at, at two, even though he was reading and, you know, decoding words and all that stuff, his communication and his dialogue was not there. So we had him um, get checked out with. Um, you know, speech, special ed, OT, and all that. He did qualify for speech, so he got that at, as an early intervention um, child. And we were able to do that probably for about like six months. And then we transferred, uh, then we moved to Queens. And, um, you know, from Long Island to Queens, all the processes are different, right? And some things that sometimes they don't always transfer as smoothly. And we got him into a pre-K. And in pre-K, uh, as part of the New York City Department of Ed, in, in November, they do a screening and they do that for every child. And so they kind of raised a concern with us and they said, you know, I, we think that he should get evaluated again. And we said, OK, well, he did have speech before. We didn't continue with those services because we just didn't have we didn't know where we were going to be at that point. And we got him evaluated and um, they said, you know, he does exhibit, uh, he will need speech, he will need OT because of his, you know, lack of fine motor skills. And, um, and as far as the special ed, you know, he needs more support and his attending. So he doesn't have a classification of um, ADHD or ADD, but he did have a hard time attending and sitting down. So they said, okay, let's have him be placed in a more restrictive environment. So at that point it was 18 students and then they moved him and said, okay, let's try 12. 
and um, and so that's where he was. And again, as a mom, I have to admit that I wasn't as embracing. You know, um, a lot of thoughts went through my head, like, "Oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? What did we not do? You know, what kind of support did we not offer him?" And also coming from a culture where you don't talk about developmental disabilities, right? That's not a thing. And so we really had hard conversations. Like my husband and I had hard conversations. My parents and I had hard conversations. His parents had hard conversations with us. And so it was just really hard to, you know, kind of wrap our brains around that. And then also, and then there were, uh, then there were some people who would say, well, try these, these things out. It'll treat autism, you know, or try this method out. It will, you know, it'll do all these other things. And so I just had to stop and just be honest with what I was feeling throughout the whole process. But anyway, so fast forward, he was actually um, part of, um, he, he was part of a more, you know, restrictive environment, like I mentioned for pre-K. And then when we moved him over to um, kindergarten, we had a choice to send him to a community school, like a local district school, or to move him to a D75 school, which is, uh, you know, more specialized special ed program for students in the New York City Department of Education. And I really struggled with that because I asked a lot of people, what are your thoughts? And some of them are like, don't put him there. He's gonna get stuck in the system, you know, or or you should. And it was just very a lot of different things. Um, but at the end of the day, we decided, you know what, what is best for Noah? That's what we really needed for him and that's what we wanted for him. And regardless of the stigmas, regardless of whatever it is that people have thought or would be thinking, um, we said, no, let's let's send him to a D75 school. I was able to visit the school. I fell in love with the school and I said, that's where he needs to go. And so for um, the past two years, he was there um, and he progressed. The teachers were amazing. Um, they saw his skills and his strengths and built on that. And obviously we had really good communication. And so you know, he was there, um, you know, for those who are not familiar, D75 is mostly, it's, um, it's not per grade per se, it's mostly, a, you know, a, a two, two grade level combination. Um, and so he was there, you know, for two years, and then he was going to be there for another two years. But what ended up happening was, you know, they, they do like a triennial meeting, and they evaluate him and do, they do like a psychoeducational evaluation to see where he's at cognitively, emotionally and all that. And um, they actually said that he he reached the point where he can be put in a standardized environment. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, of course, I that's not to us, that's to his credit. He, he is like a sponge when it comes down to these things, right? And so, we never thought that it would be this soon that he could, you know, go back to a community school, but we're grateful for it. Um, obviously it poses more, you know, it poses a, a, a different set of questions, a different set of issues, all that stuff. But one thing that I've learned throughout the process is like, you need to advocate. I mean, this is why I love both of your stories. You need to advocate for your children. You need to um, have the support that you need, right? So it's the teachers, your, your own family. And then, and then your really your kids are in your space 
if not 24 hours, but like in all that. And so you know what's best for your kid. And so anyway, so that's sort of like our, our process and where we're at right now. Um, and he's going to district school right now, but it's still a 12 one one, uh, but it is a standardized assessment. So still, still there, still working through issues, but it's been good. It's been encouraging in that, that process. Nice. Yeah. Thank you so much, Janie. I, um, you know, I, if it wasn't for you, I would not have known about early intervention. Um, I didn't know that kids under three were eligible for services until you shared your story with about Noah, you know, in our private conversations beforehand. And it was like the tool that we needed to help Olivia. Um, so I, I've learned so much from you guys, and this is great. Um, yeah, thank you guys for sharing um, your stories. And I, you know, I can relate to all of them in, in my own way. And I think similar, like, uh, similarly, like Janie said, it was not something, it was not a relief to me. It was not something that I embraced. Um, Nathan, when he was about three years old, I think when he was about three, that's when we began to notice that he just was not speaking like a normal three-year-old should. And it's a hard balance because on one hand, people always say, don't compare your kid to other kids, right? Uh, but at the other hand, you you know, there is a certain kind of like milestone that they should be hitting that you have to consider. And a lot of people were telling me it's because, you know, at that point I was a stay-at-home mom and they're like, oh, it's because she's home all day with just you and the baby. He needs to go to school. That will help. So we put him in school and we had him interview. It was a private school. So he had to interview with the principal. And then he met his teacher. And within the first week of school, they both said, he needs speech therapy. Like school alone is not enough and you need to have him evaluated. Um, so we went through that process. And that's when he was, um, he qualified for speech therapy. And then he also qualified for, at the time, which they call it a CIT. It's like a special education teacher that comes in a few times a week and then helps to work on certain things. Um, for him, he's always had an attention difficulty. He's not the kid that's like running around the class, bouncing per se, but he's the kid that kind of like will sit there and zone out and you don't even know that he's not paying attention but you know, I know because I'm his mama. <laughs> so we, um, that's been the case. He's now in first grade. Um, he's still receiving the same services. And I think because of that experience, it helped us to notice a lot sooner when it came to Olivia, who's now my four-year-old. You know, so when she was close to two, you know, we it helped we begin to pay more attention to those milestones. And her case was a lot more severe. And so learning about early intervention from Janie. We were able to go through that evaluation process. We had great evaluators. She got placed in a great um, self-contained kind of toddler program. And she went from like speaking like one or two words to speaking in full sentences in a year. Not even a year, a school year. That's how fast, you know, she grew in the program. And I was like, man, this stuff works, you know? <laughs> Um, but it was, it was hard because I did have those same feelings of like, what did we not do right? You know, is it because he wasn't in school? Is it because, you know, I was too busy just being pregnant and like too tired. I didn't read enough. I didn't do all these things. And like, I battled that guilt for a very long time, you know, um, with each of my kids. Cause by the time I noticed Olivia, I was pregnant with number three, you right. know? So, yeah. You know, I battled that and I didn't want to embrace it as well. You know, I also just felt like 
I felt like the move was for me to be a stay-at-home mom and for me to keep the kids with me. Um, so like having to admit that they needed outside help made me feel like I was just not doing, like I wasn't living up to my mom duties, you know, or like the structure that I provided was wrong. Um, so, you know, I can, I can totally relate to that, but there is a sense of relief in knowing, being able to identify what your kids need Mm -hmm. and knowing that they're getting the help that they deserve or that they really need, you know. Wow, what a rich discussion, and we are just getting started. Make sure that you stay tuned for part two and three of our discussion, Embracing Special Education. Make sure that you subscribe to this YouTube channel, hit the notification button so that you'll be alerted when the videos when the videos have posted. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook, and we'll see you soon. Bye.